And welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Today I'm sitting down with Michael Grady. Pacer fans know him as the voice throughout Bankers Live Fieldhouse as a public address announcer on a full-time basis since the 2010-2011 season. He holds many titles, including co-host of the Grady and Big Joe show weekdays from 10 to noon on 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis. And then, of course, he's been a sports reporter the last three years for RTV6, the local ABC affiliate in Indianapolis. But he's moving on to bigger and better things, and that's to New York, to the Big Apple, as he moves out of Indianapolis and central Indiana for the first time. Grady accepted a gig with the Yes Network as the Brooklyn Nets courtside reporter. So you're familiar with Jeremiah Johnson on the sidelines for all Pacers games. He'll have a similar role, but for Brooklyn Nets broadcasts on the Yes Network, which is a Fox-owned property. Michael is one of the great guys here in Indianapolis and in sports media, and so I appreciate him taking nearly an hour sitting down with me to talk about his decision, what went into it, uh, what he leaves behind here in Indianapolis, why it was important to him to stay on the airwaves, and also his interest in the arts, in fashion, and in photography. He really was candid with me, and I appreciate that. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are on there, and if you could, please take one minute and leave a review. So here's my interview with Michael Grady, now of Yes Network. What's been life been like for you the last couple of weeks? Telling everybody, hearing their feedback, and then also preparing for what's next. Yeah, probably the most um, anxiety or stress that I've had um, in my life because uh, it's a big, big move, big decision. Uh, it's one that didn't come easy, but it's one that's right. Um, so there was anxiety on whether or not uh, I would actually get to get the position uh, with Yes Network. And there was anxiety over over how I was going about sharing it with everybody. Um, the the process of hoping that I could continue the ra- uh, the radio show and uh, that relationship with Joe and the listeners on the fan uh, it was just so much, and then confusion on when the announcement would come. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was a lot over the course of the past um, several weeks. Uh, I'm happy with the way that everything unfolded, and um, the love and feedback and support has been great. The jokes have been great, and so uh, so no, I'm excited about the next chapter. And the sure. cool thing was you were able to own your announcement. Which yes. nowadays you can't really do that much right. anymore because yeah. it's getting leaked out by a variety of sources. Right, right, right. So this one I was able to keep under under wraps. Um, uh, close friends that I shared it with uh, uh, were great in keeping <laughs> in keeping the um, secret until I finally made the announcement. So um, as far as I'm concerned, everything went smooth. So. How did this opportunity come about? Were you looking f- for something new? I know you t- you told the mm-hmm. story on your show, and if you could share a little bit of it, yeah. of Basically, an agent helped you through this process. Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, uh, my RTV6 contract was winding down, coming to a close in August. And so I was um, on a day-to-day contract, actually in the process of negotiating a new one. And um, when that time comes, when your contract's up, you know, your agent's looking and seeing what's out there. And so uh, he sent me an email back at the end of July. And he said, um, you know, they have a new talent scout over at Fox. And... Um, and so I had a good conversation with them. Things went great. I'll keep you posted. Oh, by the way, also the Brooklyn Nets are looking for a you know courtside <laughs> reporter. And you by know, the way. so I shared I, sh- I shared your information. And so, um, 
at that point, I was thinking, okay, you know, Fox, eh, we'll, we'll see. I had been out, out there in L.A., uh, did a mock-up, mock show um, uh, that ended up being the Colin Cowherd and Jason Whitlock show. Mm-hmm. And so sat in, did some mock shows with that before they decided to go in that direction. Um, had done some stuff over with ESPN, like mock sports centers. But my heart really wasn't there. Um, I, I hear, I watch some of the argument shows, and it's pretty much all it is. And that's just not me. It seems kind of artificial. It seems kind of like they're putting these guys up to it. Um, when you're talking and having a conversation with your friends, it may get heated from time to time, depending on what you're debating. But it's not an everyday thing. Sometimes it's laughter. Sometimes it's joking about different topics. It's just different moods for different days. And it's and, a fun conversation. Right. And now some of these, the shows now, it's just it's all about yelling and, you know, contentious conversation. So, um, so Fox is still kind of a big deal. So I was like, okay, that's cool. But I, the more I thought about the Brooklyn Nets opportunity – I was really curious about that one because I've always wanted to travel. Um, I've long had a passion for the NBA. Um, the Brooklyn Nets, uh, while not a very good basketball team right now, a very intriguing basketball team as they try to shape their future. And it's New York. And so um, about a week later, my, you know, my agent called me back and said, hey, um, the Nets really liked your tape, so much so that they want to fly you out there to meet you face-to-face. And four days later, I was out in New York meeting their great staff, and um, I flew in at like 11 o'clock, had a meeting at 12, another meeting at 2, and was out of there back at the airport by about 4 o'clock. Wow. And so it was like boom, boom, boom. And uh, it was about two and a half weeks after that before I got a call from my agent and he said, they want you. And um, that's, that's how we guess. And we that's got what here. you want to hear in this business anymore that's as it, yeah. jobs continue to get cut. Yeah. To have someone want you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and you're always going to have doubts in your mind. Everybody gets told no. Um, you don't there's always that anxiety and that fear of, you know, rejection and wondering, is this going to be it for me? You know, I had some great, uh, great gigs here in the city, but working seven days a week, it will certainly wear on anybody. And so people will t- could tell you all day long, Hey, you, you know, you're going to do great things. You're going to move on. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Um, but you sometimes question whether or not, okay, um, I feel like I have the talent, but is someone else going to recognize that? Here in the city, I've got obviously a lot of great relationships. A lot of folks know who I am and my talent, but is that going to be recognized in a larger market? Will they look at me and have the same type of feeling that people in my home city feel? And so there's always that anxiety and worry that maybe, you know, Am I good enough? Can I, are they going to? Are they going to like me? Are they going to understand my personality? Are they going to feel my um, passion for this sport and uh, for this position? And uh, just fortunate that it worked out. It's funny to hear you say that because I may mean, think I wrote it on the website when you yeah. took the channel six position. I said, if I'm ESPN, mm-hmm. I'm hiring you right now and not looking back. I think those are my exact <laughs> words. And yeah. to me, not being you, and of course, we're all always our yeah. biggest critic, right, I said, right. it's only a matter if you want to do that. If yeah. you're interested in something like that, yeah. then you'll go that way. It's taken some. It's um, oh. kind of taken some time and waiting for the right, right opportunity, and patience has been a big part of my career and learning. Um, you know, some people want things right away, right away, right away, right away. Um, I didn't know that I could do a radio show until I spent time with Kravitz and Eddie and then doing this show called The Voice of the Fan and then kind of getting a feel for how to prepare for a show every day and what it takes. And then it was like, yo, I can I can do this um, with with everything. It's yeah. just kind of a learning process. I, I wasn't dumb enough to think right out of the gate 
I can host my own show. No, there's a process. You need to learn, learn from people's mistakes, learn from people's successes, and then go out there and experience it for yourself. And so uh, even with the TV thing, I didn't know whether or not I would get an opportunity with television. But it just so happened that there was a sequence of events that led to the door opening at RTV6. Eric Yutze had to get a job in Miami. Jason Spells, contract happened to be up. Leave RTV6 in the summer and then go to Channel 13. And then Pacer playoff is getting ready to start. And the month of May is also underway. And Dave 1st and Brad Brown are tied up with the track. And so they needed someone to help them with coverage. And they figured, well, Michael looks okay. Maybe he won't be too bad in front of a camera. Let's see how this would work. And um, and so fortunately, I did a solid job. And a month after the Pacers season ended, they um, offered me a contract at RTV6. And at that point, I hadn't had experience uh, uh, since my college days at WVUT in Vincennes. <laughs> okay. And so you get to a certain point where this is 2014, uh, and so I'm you know, 30, 31 years old. And I don't have any like television experience to show show anybody. And so, how am I going to get how am I going to get an opening if I really you don't have the experience? Right? Yeah. How, if I don't really have the experience, and it just so happens that RTV Six being in a tough spot led to them reaching out to me, and then I turned three years at Channel Six into this gig in New York. You need so, a little bit of luck, but there's no doubt you were prepared for it. Yeah, you. that's. You have done just about every type of gig in this city, whether it's right. producing, whether it's right. hosting your own show, emceeing, which right. maybe, maybe people don't remember, Pacer fans. Right. They asked you to emcee. That's what led to the PA gig, I think, of the Fever first, right. which they, led to the fill-in for the Pacers, which led to the full-time gig right. well, replacing Red Yeah, well, they brought me in, and the idea was to be PA, but the testing was as an MC. And then okay. once a month, I filled in for Reb while emceeing uh, to do the PA gig. And, if, and once they felt comfortable, then all right, boom, 2010, you can take that, you can take it over. Um, my, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, um, is a Napoleon quote, and it's that ability is nothing without opportunity. Um, and I could have all the talent in the world, but I need, needed certain things to happen, a sequence of events to happen in order for me to get an opportunity. And so when I started it um, here at Emmis, uh, I t- I've told the story on air. Uh, I left Vincennes, was looking for a job, sent emails out. Ken Sterling said um, here at WIBC, he was the assistant program director. And he said, uh, give me a call Thursday at 3 o'clock or 3.30. Um, three o'clock came around. I gave him a call. He said, all right, you know, if you'd have called me at 301, I probably wouldn't answer the phone, but you were punctual. And so here's an opportunity. And it was a three to six shift on Saturdays. Uh, a couple months later, I started in like June of 2003, October of 2003. One of the producers at WIBC broke up with his girlfriend, <laughs> decided he never wanted to see her again, yeah. drove all the way to California. Um, the week before he quit, I had trained on Indiana Sports Talk with Bob Lovell, and so I was just next in line. And so I got an opportunity to um, do Indiana Sports Talk with Bob Lovell and did that for several years. Um, we started the fan in 2000, late 2007, early 2008. We didn't have the budget for an um, announcer to say, you're listening to 1070 The Fan, so I, they asked me to do that. At that same time, the Pacers were looking for a new PA announcer, heard my voice on the radio, Don Fisher and a couple of others rec- recommended me. Boom, I'm sitting down in their office, and they asked me if I would like to be Eventually PA, but, you know, work with the team and do some MC stuff. So you started, I didn't know this, you started with the Pacers in that role. 
on the path to being right, the PA. Right, right. They knew me because okay. Rebbit Reb had been around for um, a long time and was obviously still doing a great job. But you always have to plan for the future. And so that was the idea when they brought me in. But, of course, I had to prove myself. Um, but they happened to be looking for someone at the same time that I was doing voiceovers for this new station called The Fan. Um, I wish they wouldn't have so, gotten rid of that. Right I know there. it has a big-time feel uh-huh. with whoever that new voice yeah. is. Mm-hmm. But you feel like Indianapolis, and you have uh, a great was, command of it. I, I enjoyed it. It was it was fun, and then uh, and then I already mentioned the uh, opportunity with RTV Six, just because you know again Eric Etsy leaving, Jason Spell stepping into that role, and even to my with my agent that I've told before, um, I owe a lot to um, an old professor of mine, Trevor Potts. Um, I got I, I I was getting really busy with my radio career, and I was taking classes at IUPUI, working full time at um, Sally May, and also working some evenings and then all weekend at uh, here at the radio station. And more opportunities were coming, and I just decided, you know what, I, I I'm not really giving IUPUI the attention that I need to give it to finish up. And so I went and focused solely on radio. And I had taken classes in communication studies for a few years. So folks can look back at that and say, ah, you know, he didn't finish, he didn't get his degree and that kind of thing. But this is how it, this is how it worked out. Trevor Potts um, joined the communication department at um, IUPUI. I had a class with him. We hit it off. Um, as my career started to move forward in radio, um, he would send students who were interested in radio and sports my way, and they would interview me. They needed to interview someone who was involved with sports and that kind of thing. And so I would do those interviews and happy, and every semester he would send students my way. And so we continued our relationship. Final Four was here a few years ago, and uh, for anybody who's ridden the Uber before, when there's a big event around or it's a busy time or peak uh, hours, they raise their prices on Uber. And so during the final four, folks could make some really good money yeah. driving a, you know, Uber around town. And so uh, my professor decides to drive an Uber during the final four, during just that weekend, and he picks up a guy uh, by the name of Jeff Feldman in his car. They strike up a conversation. Feldman says that he is a um, an a agent for If Management, based in New York, and he represents you know different media really people, one. and so yeah. um, uh, all kind of folks from Dave Pash, different people at um, Big Ten Network, Dave Revson, uh, a lot of different folks at If Net, If uh, Management, uh, a small crop of talent, but a talented group, and they and because it's a small group of uh, people that they represent, they're able to give them a lot of attention. And so they strike up this conversation, and my old professor says, "We well, should." I don't know if he has an agent or not. If he has, if he has representation, but you should reach out to a student. His name is Michael Grady. Jeff gets back to New York, looks me up, sends me an email. Um, this was in early fall. Um, I was f- flattered by the email. I was kind of thinking about whether or not I wanted an agent and go that route. That's the big and debate in broadcasting. It is because, well, again, they do take a piece of the pie. Obviously, you know, ten percent. Um, and you also, again, you once again wondering, can I take it to the next level? Again, I, I feel like I'm talented. Things are going well. Can I go to that next level? That is a big jump. And um, is this the right guy to take to late take me there? And so it took a couple months, and I reached back out to him. I said, you know, yeah, we'd love to meet and talk. And uh, flew me out to New York, sat down, met him, met the entire staff, hit it off. Things went well and uh, signed a contract. And... That's and he's the one that found 
this uh, job opportunity with Yes Network. And so if it wasn't for my time at IUPUI, having a relationship with Trevor Potts, a professor, even though I didn't finish school there, I had the relationship, we maintained that relationship, he decides to drive an Uber, he actually gets connected to Jeff Feldman, picks him up, they strike up a conversation. I, I'm not a big talker in cars, you know what I mean? It's a good thing that Jeff Feldman opened up and shared what he does for a living. Right, how many of us do then, that? Right. Usually Uber is the time where you can catch up on something, make yes. a phone call, send right. an email, send a tweet. Right, and and so wow. for him to not only strike up a conversation and then get back, but to go back to New York, remember my name and look me up. And then reach out. Some people could be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay." Yeah, How I'm many sh- people? I'm sure he's good. Are they yeah. pushed? Right, to, yeah. right. And so for all that, for that entire sequence of events to happen, has um, led me to this point. So talent and and all that is certainly a big part of it. But doors open in, in weird and bizarre ways, and, and ability is really nothing without opportunity. And uh, you work hard, and opportunities will come. So you're taking the courtside reporter position with the S Network mm-hmm. covering Brooklyn Nets games. Let's talk a little bit more about the public address role, being mm-hmm. a Pacers podcast. Do you have a favorite memory from something that happened on court? I would guess it's something maybe Joey Crawford related in game yeah. or during the reviews, something to that yeah, extent. Joe, I mean, there were so many, so many fun moments. I mean, Joey Crawford yelling all the time. Um, his normal voice was just yelling. That was it. Uh, as far as moments and games, uh, the game against the Denver Nuggets, I think it was second half. They In the third quarter, Pacers hit every shot in the quarter until Josh, Josh McRoberts Roberts, missed yeah. one yeah. Um, near the horn. And it was just... It was just one of those crazy moments where the quarter is going on and you start looking at everybody at the scores table and go, have these guys missed? And it just watching it unfold. And even with Josh missing the shot, it was still a fantastic moment. Um, the games themselves, the playoff games, the atmosphere, I know nothing will touch the 90s. And um, Reggie Miller and some of the great moments there at Marcus Square Arena. But those Miami Heat games were so intense. And the crowd was so rabid and so... Um, and t- I mean, they were so into the games and hated the Miami Heat. We all did. Yep. Um, those were just some great moments. Even though we fell short, it was still it was still fun watching the team compete, and then also watch LeBron take his game to a whole nother level. I honestly feel like the Pacers are kind of what pushed him over the hump, and and kind of helped him realize where he, what level he had to go to in order to be great and to win a championship. Um, and so those moments were fantastic. Uh, names that were tough to pronounce. Uh, if the guy's name was tough to pronounce, I just wouldn't say his name. And there's more of that. That happened a couple of times. Or you give the mumble. Mumble treatment. Yeah, you mumbled. And that's that wasn't by design. That wasn't um, – I, I, and I think most, most folks know this about me. I am a fan. I'm not – you know, I, wouldn't, I was an employee. I was a fan who happened to have the mic. And so it wasn't by design that I was like, hey, let me mumble. No, I genuinely didn't like it when the other team scored. And so, no, I just – I didn't want them to feel good about themselves. I didn't want any yeah, – okay, you score, yeah, whatever. Anyway, the, I, one I just, I, the one I never understood, yeah. <laughs> and it's a big Pacer fan thing, is Evan Turner. Mm-hmm. I like the guy. I think he was an incredible interview. I enjoyed our discussions. Yeah. He'd be playful in the locker room. But I think because so many Pacer fans assert blame of the end of that season yeah. on him, on that trade, and now Paul George is talking about it, and – player loyalty yeah. with all that 
I mean, you don't even call him by a no, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even mention his name. Yeah, I call him Jazzy McStillskin um, because he, yeah, he played defense with jazz hands. He's one of those guys to me <laughs> that always, and you can see this in any gym, little, you know, um, small kids, high school, well, really with high schoolers. There are certain guys who are talented and they make it look like they're working harder than what they actually are. And so Evan on defense is doing all kind of movements and things like that to make it look like he's working hard, spinning around, all kind of things. But he's really not working hard. It's all kind of fool's gold. He's a talented player, no doubt, and a likable guy if you talk to him. But that trade was bad in this respect. You know, Danny wasn't going to help you because he was hurt. But Evan Turner, coming from the Philadelphia 76ers, he was a couple of months away from vacation. It's difficult to go from the mindset of, you know, I'm playing on a horrible team, end of the season is coming up, to, oh, I'm about to play on a team that has a chance to go to the NBA Finals. And even though he had a moment here or there, I don't think he ever really took his game to that next level. And so I really didn't have a whole lot of respect for uh, his seriousness about the opportunity that was presented in front of him. And he, of course, butted heads with Lance. So it, it was it was a tough spot for yeah. him to be in. I think other guys, given that situation, would have embraced it a little bit more. But it was kind of like stepping onto a moving treadmill. Like these, everybody's on this level, and you're all the way down here because of the, where you came from. So that's not all on Evan. Part of that's on Larry. That's, yeah, it just wasn't a good wasn't. A good it's move. hard to have a feel for the locker room, but I, I ignore kind of what happened on the court. That was one of the best locker rooms I've ever been uh-huh. around. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I give him too much credit because I liked him, whatever. I think a big missing piece that they had to waive was Orlando Johnson. He didn't do anything on the court. Yeah, yeah. But he was everybody's best friend. Right, right, Russell right. Butler became that same guy. Right, right. You have to know. You got to know your locker yeah, yeah, you have to know who the right pieces are. Um uh, I think had had Danny been traded in a different situation, Paul wouldn't have had the comments that he recently had. Um, but the best player in the locker room may not be the important player, and the most mm-hmm. important player in the locker room. And so if you have a good feel of the locker room, then you have an idea of whether or not certain moves will disrupt the chemistry. And I, I didn't think that a lot of thought was given to that. What was the most challenging part of that role as the PA announcer? Uh, really, really nothing. I Other mean, than the I, names, maybe? No. Um, yeah, but the names really weren't all the – it was every now and then that there would be a bad name. Paying attention um, when you want to tweet? Because I think yeah. that's one thing I was not surprised as much as I was impressed with. Yeah. How you were able to keep up with everything both on Pacers Twitter yeah. and going on throughout the game and it's just, rarely want, missing a name. One, one other thing about the, the jobs that you and, you and I have is – we have a um, the opportunity to go behind the curtain, and that's what a lot of fans would like to know about. You know, they they're seeing things on television. What can you tell us that we're not seeing by just watching mm-hmm. the game? What are you noticing? What what are you picking up? What are you hearing? What are some things that you can give us on the inside that's happening behind the scenes? And the better we do that, I think the better connection we can have and the more valuable we are to our audience. And so I always wanted to do that. And so if something funny happened behind the scenes or if the game's in a commercial break on television and people are watching at home and I noticed something, I always wanted to communicate that um, as quickly as I could in a, way, in, so that I, in a way that I wouldn't get in trouble, like at least information that wouldn't get me sure. 
in trouble. But if there was some funny commentary from from one of the coaches, if there was funny banter with the players, something crazy in the stands, anything like that, I wanted to kind of offer that peek behind the curtain um, for the fans, whether they're in the arena and looking at their phones or at home and watching and just give them an idea. Uh, hey, what's going on? This is what the ref just told me. This is what this player just said, that kind of thing. And then I was doing the same thing with the photography too. So multitasking has always come easy for me, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of by necessity. I really want to tweet what's going on. So how can I do this, pay attention, and tweet as quickly as I possibly can? Uh, I want to take photographs. I went, how can I, when is a good time to do that? When oh, I'll just leave my mic on and I'll follow it. And I'll just announce while I'm snapping at the same time. I didn't yeah. know that. So, yeah, if a guy scored if, and, and I wanted to get his reaction after scoring, I'd just leave my mic on and then anticipate the shot going in. And if it goes in, I make the call. I don't have to hold the microphone. It's like a headset. And I just use my other hand, my hands, to snap the uh, action. So it was just by necessity. I wanted, you know, I'm, I knew that I wasn't going to have that position for a long period of time. And it would be fantastic from this angle to have pictures, you know, that I can hang on to from that Pacers team, great players that came into the field house, that kind of thing. And so it was just by necessity that I was able to do everything. One last thing regarding the Pacers. I think that was really cool. Uh, was during the postseason one time, I want to say 2014, mm-hmm. when you were traveling with Channel 6, yeah. whether it's Jamie Burns or Mark Boyle, whatever, they let you basically serve as the analyst on the road since yeah. Slick Leonard does not travel anymore. Right, right, right. And people listening would not have known that you hadn't done that role, in my opinion, for a long Thanks. time. You seamlessly worked in with Mark and, and provided exactly what yeah. you were saying, your, yeah. both your opinion and what you had seen behind the scenes maybe at shoot-around. Yeah, you know um, – uh, Mark Mark Boyle is one of my uh, favorite people in the world, and he's, he's someone that I respect as much as anybody in this business. And um, he is uh, someone that has taught me so much. Some of what he's taught me has been direct. Some of it has just been by uh, observing him. And between Jamie and Mark to ask me to do the color commentary for that postseason run, um, you know, the first round against Atlanta, which went seven games, second round against the Washington Wizards, which was fun, and then, of course, the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat, which was the blow-in-the-year series for Lance Stevenson, and that team was going through so, so much turmoil at that point in the year, and it was it was so much fun to um, call. It was the highlight of my career to call those games, and it, and it also reinforced what I wanted to do. I love traveling, and um, to be able to – cover that series, fly to Atlanta for crucial games, fly to D.C., um, and then, of course, call Eastern Conference Finals games. It's tough for anything to top that, but it really reinforced kind of what I wanted to do as far as following the NBA, see different arenas, see what it's like in these different places, how how players are received, the environment, um, how they compete, all those kinds of things. And um, that was a huge highlight for me, and I'm forever thankful to uh, Jamie and Mark for giving me that opportunity. Do you think you're a better broadcaster and are more fulfilled doing multiple positions, having multiple roles at one time? Because that's something yeah. you, you always seemingly done. Yeah, it's, whether um, it's producing a show, having a show, doing PA. Yeah, it's kind of you, right? And I feel like I've been able to get opportunities because of my willingness to be kind of multifaceted. Um, I've always loved radio, and everything started with radio. And then I knew that if I wanted to take my career to another level, then I would have to do some stuff on television. And I was fortunate to have 
that certain you know sequence of events happened uh, that led to me getting on um, television. Uh, the Pacers thing just kind of um, fell into my lap, and it, it was a dream come true. Uh, I was a kid, grew up watching the Pacers and watching all the big games and following the team through the 90s and crying when Reggie retired or crying after bad losses or celebrating crazy wins and exciting game-winning shots. And so to have the opportunity to do PA and have the best seat in the house, you know, because whenever I went, I, I didn't go to very many games growing up, but when I did, I was enjoying the game from balcony level. You know, the last game I went to before I became PA, well, one of the games I remember was uh, my mom took me to. It was a playoff game against the Sixers, and we sat in the uh, balcony right above where um, uh, Miles Turner's section is now. So um, I just felt incredibly fortunate, you know, and blessed to have that opportunity. And so um, I knew when I got the RTV6 job that my, my schedule would be crazy, that I would be really, really busy. But... I loved each and every job. Yeah. I loved each and every role. There wasn't, there really wasn't a um, negative side, and I couldn't really. And, I, and there's no way I would complain about it to anybody if there was a negative side to it. Oh, I have to wake up in the morning and do a radio show. Oh, tonight I'm busy because I'm going to be on television. That's notable oh, because gonna, whenever yeah. you take callers, mm-hmm. the old back and forth, "How are you?" which kind of annoys yeah. me in general. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can't complain. Yeah, right, can't right, complain. right, right. And that's and your I, response. Yeah, I can't. Um, and so I just feel, and, and to be able to do that in my hometown too. You know, when I was in Vincennes, um, this was like the first day of class, and um, I forget the professor's last name. Nice guy, and we went out to dinner a couple of years ago because um, I think he's near in retirement. But he went around the classroom and he said, what does everybody want to do? What is everybody's, you know, goal when you when you graduate? And um, the the phrase that I kept in my mind, even when I was in Vincent, the earlier earlier days was being a broadcast professional, broadcast professional, broadcast professional. And um, he got to me and he said, what would you like to do when you get out of Vincent's, Michael? And I said, I want to be a broadcast professional in Indianapolis. And he kind of smirked and he said, straight to the big time, huh? And then he went on to the next student. And it was almost like he kind of um, scoffed at it. As if, and again, he's, he's, this guy's been a professor for many, many years. He's had many students come through that have, you know, ambition and things like that. But he's watched them start off in small towns and do little things and then eventually work their way up. They may go to Terre Haute, do something there, do something in different spots, or may travel to another city in the Midwest or something like that, and then slowly but surely work their way up. And so when he i'll never forget that straight to the big time huh you, know, you can go right from here to indianapolis is that a chip on your shoulder and, a, little um, bit? a little bit clearly you remember yeah, it yeah oh yeah yeah i i always think about things like that i always um uh you know i, I may not dribble a bad and this is really true for anything you can be a lawyer and have this attitude you can be a doctor and have this attitude you can have any job and have this attitude where if someone doubts you you want to prove them wrong right it doesn't have to be on a basketball court you know michael jordan getting you know not making varsity in high school you know obviously in, um, uh, inspired him and motivated him to be as great as he was but that can happen in any career and so i may not dribble a basketball or play football for a living but i'm still motivated by being doubted and i i do have a very competitive edge and so no i always remembered that and i always you know use that as you know, motivation to try to be the best that I can be because I knew I was talented. I knew that 
I had great experience going into college from what I was doing in high school. And so that was something that always stuck stuck with me. And so um, when I left Vincennes, I left there in May 2003. And in June of 2003, I had a you know small gig, but it was at uh, MS Communications as a, as a producer and then slowly but surely worked my way up. And so to do everything that I was able to do and do it here in Indianapolis, you know, I wasn't going to turn anything down. If I could make it work, I was going to make it work. And my goal when I got that RTV6 job was... I want Emmis and the radio show to feel like I'm giving them their, their undivided attention. When I'm at RTV6, I want them to feel like they're getting undivided attention. And when I'm at Pacers games, I don't want them to feel like I'm distracted. I want them to feel like I'm giving them undivided attention. And if I can do that, then I know that I, I'll be just fine. Now, amazingly, you're going to continue your daily radio show mm-hmm. while being in Brooklyn. Why is that important to you? Because of the relationship that I have um, with listeners and the and the community and uh, the city of Indianapolis, and it's been a dream come true to be able to uh, communicate and um, joke and have fun and argue and uh, with them on a regular basis. And again, I grew up and at the bus stop, and my mom would uh, have WIBC on in the car, and I'd li- listen to. Jeff Pigeon and Terry Stacy and and they just felt like you listened to them enough every day. It was almost like they were part of the your family. You know, they're just whatever it was they were discussing or joking about or having a good time about or talking about what was going on. And I and I knew that I wanted something like that. I didn't want something overly argumentative. I didn't want to be a shock jock or anything like that. I don't feel like all that stuff is genuine. Um, sometimes you have argumentative days. Sometimes you have days where you're just having fun. There's a combination of it, but it's just kind of depends on the mood and what the topics are and what happens, what seems to be happening then. As long Don't as it's not contrived, right. if it's authentic, then it can make for real discussion right. and, and something memorable that right. those people that were listening are still talking about after your show from 10 to noon, they're right. talking about at 5 o'clock. Right, right. And so that's the, that's the kind of um, culture that I wanted with the show and I've been fortunate to have that with Joe Stasniak. And so um, I don't want to stop that. I don't, I don't want to stop that. It's, um, I, want to, I want to maintain that relationship. Um, I certainly now with me moving, I want my family to be able to hear my voice, you know, still during the week here in Indianapolis. And so um, that, was a, that was a big priority of mine when this opportunity came my way. No, that'll be big time. <laughs> Carrying along a little Comrex box or yeah, whatever, yeah. wherever you go to do it. You can right. do it poolside for all anybody knows. <laughs> right. Yeah, nobody has to know. <laughs> well, this Not at your, all. Will this be your first time living outside of central Indiana? Yeah, yeah. again, I'm uh, really fortunate that I, um, the opportunities that people generally leave town for, I've been able to get those opportunities here in Indianapolis. Uh, some people have to move to get their own radio show. Some people have to move to get yeah. an opportunity in television or with an NBA team. And so for those opportunities to come my way in my hometown is fantastic. Um, if I had to move to Milwaukee to get a sports casting job, it wouldn't be the same covering the Milwaukee Bucks or, you know, or the Green Bay Packers. Um, to be able to cover the Colts and Pacers team that I grew up rooting for has been awfully special. So, no, this will be the first time. It just might make for maybe some long nights, maybe, when you're on yeah, a road. Yeah, absolutely. You'll have league pass and right. what a Sunday ticket. For the NFL. Yeah, if the Pacers both play Pacers and Nets both play at seven o'clock. You know, I gotta work the Nets game and then after the Nets game I just kinda watch a rebroadcast of the Pacers game on you know on a computer. So I'm a night owl anyway, mm-hmm. so that's not that much of a not that much of a stretch. But um but you have to you have to watch the games 
um, to comment on it. You can't, I can't comment, even for a two-hour show, I can't comment on a Pacers game based off of a box score. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to have to watch those games. Yeah. Who are some of those in broadcasting that you looked up to growing up, whether it's local or national? Yeah. Who are those? I've, maybe you imitated early on. Yeah, no, I've said this for years. Um, I knew that from, um, from going back to high school and definitely college that I, I wanted to be a combination of Ahmad Rashad and Bob Costas. I grew up watching Inside Stuff. And Ahmad Rashad, being a former athlete, he knew how um, athletes thought. He knew that they, I mean, their life is sports nonstop. So what he tried to do is bring in a little bit of um, uh, what else do you like outside of the world of sports? Connect with them in a different way. Get these guys to come out of their shell. Make it seem like when you're talking to them, you guys, you know, you're having fun. And I think the listeners, the viewers, they all appreciate that. I know I appreciated that, seeing a different side of of the athletes. Absolutely. And so he always seemed like he was like a friend to the athletes that he um, talked to. And I loved watching Inside Stuff. And then Bob Costas, just because he's a um, master of the language, he's as eloquent as any broadcaster that there is out there. He is well prepared as any broadcaster that there is out there. He knows how to put games in a historical context. Um, uh, And he's also very passionate. Um, I, you know, fell in love and loved Bob Costas from like the NBA broadcast. He loves baseball so much more than the NBA, but you wouldn't have known it watching Costas on the uh, do the NBA on NBC. Um, but hearing him talk about baseball and the passion that he has when he talks about that sport, um, you know, I, I I want to I want to have that same kind of energy. I want to have that same kind of eloquence, and I want that balance between the two um, from. Rob Costas, all that he brings to the table, and then in terms of the relationship with athletes and that being visible on screen, I always wanted that. So those are my those okay. are my two guys on Mount Rushmore growing up. I think the big thing listening to your daily program is you can you feel like you're with you for one, mm-hmm. and whenever you smile or joke or you can, that great mm-hmm. laugh of yours, whenever that's going on. I think those in the car, wherever you are listening, they follow along. Maybe they're smiling. Yeah, or they're yeah. laughing along with you, and yeah, that's the kind yeah. of impact that you and Joe can have each day, or at least you hope to. And that's and and you're not going to get and not that it, again, not calling anybody out, but you're not getting that same feeling on shows with a shock jock or someone who's angry all the time or volatile um, or ang- comes off angry all the time. Uh, if if for two hours a day, if we can get people to forget about what's up, whatever is going on in their life, mm-hmm. um, mission accomplished. And those are the emails and, and um, the tweets and things like that that I appreciate the most. Hey, I was going through a rough time. You know, laughing with you guys got me through it. Um, uh, those are the things that stick with me and make me feel good and make me feel like I'm doing the right thing with the show. Um, it's genuine. It's authentic. It's fun. Um, a lot of the stuff that happens on the show is spontaneous. We don't have a great deal of, you know, we don't talk before the show and say, I'm going to take this angle. You're going to take that angle. I send Joe like a list of questions the night before and we both do our own research on it. And then we come in and we just kind of go with the flow. And he says something that I've never heard before. And he hears stuff from me that it, that he hasn't heard before. And we just see where things roll. And so everything is kind of authentic. Um, I, I grew up loving, you know, stand up comedy and and um, I love to laugh 
and uh, and I just like that environment where we can laugh, have fun. We don't take ourselves that seriously. If there is a serious topic, and there are a lot of those in the news today, we're not shy about hitting on those, and we don't agree a lot on those things, but it's uh, it's cordial and um, and hopefully productive. You know, at the end of the day, that's one of the things that I took away. And we both worked with Eddie White. Their time was the uh, drive time late in the afternoon. He said, "Hey, these people just got out of work. They're mostly feeling down, probably <laughs> anxious for what's next. Yeah. If I can one leave them with something that they remember and maybe tell their spouse, and also cheer them up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm all about. That's what it should. Don't get caught up in the little things. Right, know? right, right. Absolutely. That's what it should be about. And that, I mean, that's that's just part of being a Hoosier and and." Um, yeah. And who we are, you know, uh, anyway, um, uh, we just want to put a smile on somebody's face. And uh, that's what it's all about. And have fun. And it should feel like a conversation that you're having with buddies at a bar or wherever it may that's be. That's the goal, at least. And so, yeah. And so that's that's what we want it to be like, where people feel like they're having fun eavesdropping or participating in the conversation. Now, those that may not follow, I'm big, at, obviously, NBA guy, so I'm bouncing <laughs> around League Pass. But this isn't just any broadcast crew <laughs> that you are joining. The Yes yeah. Network and the Nets, one, two, with, right there with MSG and Mike Breen. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the best of the best with Ian Eagle. Yeah. Ryan Rucco mm-hmm. is his backup. Yep. And then yep. Sarah Kustak moving yep. to the analyst role, and you're taking over her yeah. role. So that's big shoes being on one of the elite, what I call elite broadcasts in the NBA. It that's is. special. As, as respected as any crew uh, in the NBA, uh, despite the fact that the team is, is – um, is uh, not very good right now, but they're trying to move in a different direction and move past kind of the bad trade they had a few years ago. But they feel like they have some pieces to build upon with D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and other guys that they added in the offseason like Damari Carroll and Alan Crabb. But Ian Eagle is as good a broadcaster as there is out there. Uh, you've seen him on, you know, heard him on NCAA tournament games, NFL games on CBS. He's done so many different things. Ryan Rucco done a lot of play-by-play with the ESPN, two very respected guys. Sarah Kustak is fantastic, and it was great meeting her recently. And uh, Frank DeGrace is as good a producer as there is in the country. And so I'm so excited to work with these folks and to be a part of this great crew. Mike Fratello is a studio analyst <laughs> this upcoming season. So, I mean. Just to be able to pick his brain yeah, on the game or what right. you're seeing. Is he seeing that as well? Yeah, just um, uh, taking my understanding and knowledge of the game to uh, to another level. And that's kind of the key in this whole thing is to never stop learning and to continue to challenge yourself, which is another reason why this opportunity was important to me. Um, um, you don't want to stay in a rut. You don't want to, con- you know, doing the same the hamster thing. wheel. Oh, yes. And even though they may be great gigs, you have to challenge yourself. There just comes time where you have to challenge yourself and say, you know what? Let's give it a shot. I don't. I. I, I want there to be no regrets at the end of the day. I don't want to say, man, I wish I could have taken this opportunity, or I wish I could have gone for it. Some people don't try um, things, and we all think about it, you know, and maybe doubt ourselves, but. Um, some people may not pull the trigger and try things just because of the fear of rejection. And um, you just got to go. You just got to go for it and see what happens and make no regrets. And so I'm excited about the challenge. Yeah. Um, I'm so thankful for the, the uh, opportunities that I've had here and what I've been able to do to be one of, you know, one of 30 people, you know, to be a PA announcer in the NBA and now to be one of 30 to be a um, sideline reporter in the league. Uh, is something, and then you know, radio show and, and to be a sports anchor in the city and all those kinds of things. 
so fortunate. Um, but yeah, you just have got to challenge yourself and, and um, uh, see where that road takes you. And by my count, I think you were the third PA guy in history. There's a guy from yeah. the ABA, uh huh, Reb Porter, right, and right, you, right, right, because they're seeking that fourth guy, <laughs> right, right, right. So, you, has, yeah. have you talked to Dean? Is, does he want you to be involved in the process in any way? Uh, you know, we uh, Dean is one of my favorite guys in the world, and we have such a great relationship. And this was, you know, it was it's, it'd be tough. Um, it was it's it's tough from a fan standpoint and the relationship that I have with fans stepping away from PA. Um, but it's going to be tough stepping away from that scorer's table and having Bill Bevan and some of the other great yeah. guys at the stat crew there and then having Dean Hevelin on my right. And so we've had such a great relationship. We've had so many laughs. And uh, he's been right there with all those great moments there at the field house with me right there. And so um, a big fan of his. Uh, but they're going to find somebody. It's not an easy, it's not an easy process uh, because, to be, you know, Everybody has their own style. There isn't one right way to do it. You know, people could ask me for You just get used to advice a sound. And yeah, yeah, that's true. You're right. If right. trifecta's gone, it doesn't right. mean it's wrong. Right. We're right. just right. used to hearing that after every three points. Right. Point. And so it just it's, it takes some getting used to. And so um, you definitely have to, you know, listen to the fans, feed off of the fans, feed off of that energy. Your job is to fan the flame. Uh, understanding the rules and all that is extremely important. Um, so it's... Uh, um, it's it's a a lot of people will look at it and say oh it's just the entertainment part and it's screaming and introducing the players and that kind of thing, but if you don't have a firm grip on the rules and what the hand signals are, the difference between a defensive three seconds versus an offensive three seconds, and not anticipating things and making sure you have all the pronunciations down. Um, you two sli- minutes left. Two minutes left is also an important call, and that. certain officials were, are really anal about making sure that you announce that because it's not just to tell people what's how much time is left. It's for the officials to know that, all right, now we're at a point where um, the next foul puts teams in the bonus. So. Um, there's a there's a lot of rules and things like that that you just have to be you have a firm grip on you know um, you can't go for it just because you think it's a cool position and think oh I'm just going to tweet and blah 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 no you got to seriously pay attention to everything that's going on and um, and uh, whoever yeah whoever steps in is going to be successful but all that said that's why I was amazed how you were able to tweet and entertain yeah. so well because it, there is a lot on your plate a couple more things I want to get into yeah. one anyone that knows you knows you have so many passions one obviously being the NBA broadcasting yeah. I think just people in general mm-hmm. you have that vibe to you Thanks. but then also photography yeah yeah over the last couple of years is at least when we've seen it naptography uh-huh. um, that you've kind of taken to a new level started that you got a website mm-hmm. busy on instagram i mean yeah, i don't yeah, know if yeah. you're taking those every day but yeah. there's probably five six stories yeah. a day where did that come about in, in fashion and the arts all of that um i've always i've always um uh i've known i've loved fashion for a long time um kind of started maybe back in high school i can't try hard to pinpoint but back in high school my first job was at taco bell and i loved that job and um, on the Wait, east side, what? east side of Indianapolis, yeah, I was working at Taco Bell while I was in high school. Huh. And uh, a lady came in when I was working the register, and she thought that I was really pleasant. And she said, "Well, if you're ever looking for another job, you know, I work over at LS Airs over at Washington Square at the time." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, cool, okay." So um, I went over there and you know applied and and got the gig and was working in the men's section. And it just made me start to pay attention to what I was wearing. You know, I, I went from having a uniform at Taco Bell to 
Oh, okay. I got to find some button ups and some ties, and I got to match these up the right way. And I got to do, okay, all right, let me figure this stuff out. And then ladies would come in, you know, with their husbands and go, Oh, where'd you get that? I really like the tie you got on. I really like this and compliment what I'm wearing. And so I became a little bit more conscious about what I, what I was wearing. And then something that I was told a long time ago was like, dress for where you want to go. And so mm-hmm. I always wanted to, um, you know, when I got the job at Emmys, I knew I wanted to be, again, a broadcast professional. And so where some, somebody may come in with T-shirt and jeans, you know, what does it matter what you wear on radio? It's radio. It's not a visual medium. I always wore, I always came in with a shirt and tie and a button up or something like that. And I just always wanted to impress. And so um, uh, any opportunity that um, was thrown my way, hey, would you like to do this or this at the radio station? I would take it and then I would work, you know, get something nice so that they can see it. Um, and and hopefully take me seriously as someone who really wanted to move up the ranks. And so I became very aware of what I was wearing. Um, I got, there was a sh- uh, channel on Dish Network called Ultra TV that uh, opened me up to runway shows. And they would oh. basically run runway shows uh, on a loop that t- took place during Fashion Week in London, Paris, New York. In Milan, and so I became aware of runway shows, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm conscious about what I'm wearing." And um, the transformational power of fashion, and how with um, a fresh haircut and a new, mm-hmm. you know, dope suit that you have on, completely changes. Your attitude. I mean, you, you just kind of, you know, put shoulders back, stand up a little bit hot, you know, taller, get some nice, you know, shoes, just completely kind of changes your attitude and your mood. And um, uh, there's a lot of fantasy when it comes to that. And uh, and so I've, I've been a big fan of fashion for a long time. And so in 20 uh, in 2012, I think it was 2012, I went to London for the first time during Fashion Week, brought my camera. I'd been shooting for a little while. And I went to like this little hub, this square where basically all the fashionistas were at and a lot of people had cameras. And if you wanted to pop up on a blog or something somewhere online or maybe in a magazine, you put your best outfit and you go to this area and everybody <laughs> okay. hangs out in this area and everybody's got a camera. Um, even people with the, you know, with the outfits, they all got a camera and they're just taking pictures of people that inspire them. And I went out there and I was really intimidated by the whole thing. It took me a while before I started asking people, hey, do you mind if I take your picture? Do you mind if I take your picture? Hey, really love your outfit. It's dope. Can I take your there's picture? Because kind of, there can be a creepy factor that, there right? There could. Especially here in, in Indianapolis. In New York, it's common. Okay. And it's common in other places, too. Because um, people that don't follow your feet, it's not just great outfits in a great location. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like nude yeah. photos. I don't know how the yeah. technical term for yeah, it is. Yeah, I, but. yeah, it certainly evolved into that point. Um, but at this point, it was kind of about the clothes. And then um, like a couple years later, I went back. So this is 2014. And I went back and I said, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm, going, I'm not going to be shy. I'm just going to go to people. Hey, can I take your picture? And again, that's all welcomed during Fashion Week. Uh, even in a city like um, New York, I saw a documentary, which wasn't, wasn't far from this, long from the same time, uh, Bill Cunningham, New York. And Bill Cunningham is a, is a longtime New York Times photographer. And he's ba- he had documented the evolution of street fashion on the streets of New York for decades. And this guy was in his, like, 70s, 80s, and was just every day on a bicycle, going around, taking pictures of people, and it would be published in the uh, New York Times. Amazing career and a great documentary on him. And that really what got me interested in it. So 2014, I'm taking all these pictures, and I had just learned how to work the camera settings and shoot in manual mode. 
good friend of mine, Def Row, um, David Dixon, who was taught by um, Matt Krieger or given a lot of tips by Matt Krieger, who is one of the amazing um, sports photographers in the city, Matt Krieger, the best. And um, uh, told me how to shoot in manual mode. And so going out to London in 2014, that was my first opportunity to kind of experiment with it. And then I went to a couple runway shows and different things like that and shot. And I shot one lady in particular. And I had been messing up before that with the settings and, you know, you're feeling rushed. Hey, can I take your picture? And then I, you know, I snap it and then I look at it and it looks horrible and they're already walking away. But this one particular lady, um, her name was Denicia, um, took her picture and it came out perfect. And I said, I got to keep doing this. To me, photography is almost like the way that people have a passion with golf, where the, the, the excitement about golf is that you can never really perfect it, you know. You have good days, you have bad days, and then you get tips and things like that. Oh, this will help me a little get a little bit better. And so every day is like a challenge to top yourself from the last time that you were out. And, and you I might at, have that one great photo that gets right. you coming back as well. Yes, yes. And so that was the photo there in London that I got to keep doing this. And so when I came back to Indy, you know, I would do the radio show. And then after the radio show, I'd walk around the streets. And if I saw someone with a really nice outfit, I would say, hey, you mind if I take a picture real quick? And yeah, okay. So I would take pictures and then I would kind of put them on this Instagram page. And then slowly but surely, I would encounter people who were actually models and say, hey, could we do a photo shoot? Yeah, absolutely. And so I would, you know, take their photo. We would do a photo shoot, get an outfit, get a concept together and go take an hour to go do that around sunset or something like that. And um, Bill Cunningham passed away kind of around the same time. And I, I remember posting on my regular Instagram account, I said, you know, if I didn't work in sports, I would I would pursue Bill Cunningham's job. I would take a camera and shoot what inspired me. And it wasn't long after tweeting uh, after posting that I said, "Well, why am I not doing it? What's holding you back? Why do yeah. yeah? Why would I? Why would I have to stop doing sports in order to pursue this other passion? Again, we only live once, so why am I not doing it? And so that's why I said, okay, I just got to do it. And so I just started. You know, shooting, shooting on a regular basis, any time of opening that I had um, and time, whether it was an hour, two hours, whatever it may be, I would shoot. Um, And then slowly but surely, you get a little bit more of a following. People want to reach out and say, hey, could you shoot me here? Could you shoot me here? When when I went on vacation, um, I would reach out to people when I was on vacation. If I was in L.A., I would look for models in L.A. Hey, who wants to shoot New York, Miami and Atlanta? And try to slowly but surely kind of build a following in those areas. And so it's been fantastic. Um, I shot in Cincinnati yesterday. Um, kind of an easy drive, opportunity to work with different you know, people and things shoot. like that. Purely to go shoot. Okay. And so I had two shoots out there. Um, I tried to shoot in Cincinnati a couple times a month. And so that certainly played a factor in this New York thing also. It not only gives me an opportunity to continue my broadcast career and take it to another level, but the doors that could open potentially with photography as well and the people that I can network with and have the opportunity to collab with yeah. is amazing. So, so no, it started off fashion and then uh, a little boudoir, that kind of thing, um, uh, tasteful nudes, all that type of stuff. Um, I, I uh, want folks to appreciate the art of it. Yeah, there's you know, beautiful women and things like that, but I love the art of photography. I love the... Um, uh, the poetry of it, you know, um, and so 
and and the different looks that you can have in the in the sunlight and using natural light and different things like that and so and it's something that's completely different from sports and it gives me my balance um there are a lot of people that i shoot have no idea who i am or what or or really? or what i do in the sports world and things like that and so to me that's kind of refreshing that's you know? your outlet yeah, most people go to sports right for their outlet, right. well, sports is your work, so right. this is your outlet. It gives me an opportunity to have an outlet, and I think I think we yeah. need that balance, especially when you work hard. You kind of need that balance. You know, we we can eat, sleep, breathe the sports stuff, but there should be something else there that gives you that escape and that balance and whatever it may be. And so for me, it's been photography and traveling. Then how do you feel about the NBA players? I mean, ten years ago, see Allen Iverson wearing the baggy sh- pants, yeah, 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 a wild shirt. Now you still have some wild outfits in Russell Westbrook. That's some nice, cool, casual looks. Yeah. I think Paul's really good with what yeah. he tends to do. LeBron as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you like seeing that with him? Yeah, yeah, those know, guys show off their personality. It's it's a um, uh, it's a result of what David Stern did. I know a lot of folks were upset with David Stern, but he was concerned about the image of the NBA after the brawl, and so he had that sports coat rule where you have to you know you look you have to wear a blazer <laughs> on the sidelines if you're not playing. You can't be on the sidelines wearing you know baggy clothes and all this kind of stuff, and so. Um, it's kind of like a no thuggery rule, but it certainly opened the door where a lot of athletes are um, conscious about what they're wearing. And so we've had Jan Mahimi in town, who's really, yeah. who's really into fashion. Amari Stoudemire, really into fashion. Dwayne Wade, really into fashion. He goes to different fashion weeks um, when his schedule permits. Um, LeBron's conscious about that type of stuff, too. And so, Jimmy Butler went to Jimmy, Paris with Dwayne for yeah, fashion weeks. It's like um, uh, the, especially during the postseason, but and certainly during po- primetime games, when guys get off the bus and go to the locker room, it's almost a runway in itself. Because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, the cameras are waiting on them, and these guys have got their, you know, best outfit that they're coming they're down and trying to it. make a statement with it. So I think it's cool. I think it's, I think it's really cool. On that fashion point, I know it's not C.J. Miles' thought, but it's the... <laughs> The look good, feel good, play good, eat good, live good. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, on it's a basketball course, some guy will wear the uh, the Allen Iverson sleeve or a headband <laughs> or got the new Jordans that are out. With and they can't hoop. But, um, uh, but it does certainly play a role in it. Yeah, I think for anybody, you know, just anything to get you that right kind of energy. And if it's a dope outfit that gets you the right kind of energy to get ready for whatever it is you're getting ready to do then do it do it be you and there's a lot of individuality we're seeing um now now with these guys i think that's cool this is weird because it's not goodbye because you'll be around the first game i love it is right here in indianapolis (laughs) right 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 what message would you have to pacer fans in particular but also those that continue to listen to you each day man i um well i guess i guess it's kind of twofold because i do love and appreciate the fact and, I, and I'll never forget the fact that this all started here in Indianapolis in high school. And um, I showed a lot of interest in radio when I was in high school, so much so that um, the school paid for me to go to a broadcast workshop at Vincennes. And that just got the ball rolling. They could tell that I was serious about it. And if I didn't go to that, if they didn't pay for me to go to that workshop, I never would have realized that Vincennes was like a perfect place to go. Um, there are great four-year schools with great broadcast programs. But the one thing I liked about Vincennes was that they threw it was a two-year school at the time, and they threw you right into the fire. So freshman year, I was doing stuff on the air, as opposed to maybe doing some book work early on and then working my way to doing some stuff on air. So that was perfect. And, um, again, I just feel incredibly blessed to be able to do this in my hometown. And so, you know, first message is to those you know, students or young people who who want to be on air in any capacity. Um, my thing has been um, 
work hard, do great work, and be a pleasure to work with. And you do those three things, you're going to give yourselves plenty of opportunity um, to have success in whatever it is you're doing. Um, work hard. And that, that, that can mean a time commitment. Uh, you know as well as anybody, you know, there's a lot of Saturday nights and Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. nights that you have to sacrifice. A lot of folks want to go out and party and do things like that. But um, it's really, if you really want to do this, then you have to give it the time. Um, this can't be a part-time thing. This has to be a, a all the time. This has got to be a big-time passion. As you said yours. earlier, a seven-day-a-week right? job. Right. And um, if, if you don't have that passion, if that isn't burning inside of you, it's okay. You can go find what it is. Um, the worst thing to do is just go through the motions, you know, pretending that, you know, okay, no, no, I really, really love this. No, if you really love it, yeah, right. if you really love this, then then it, it, there is no time commitment. There is no sacrifice. I, I never used to like when people were like, oh, man, you got to go do this. Oh, man, you can't go home. You got to go do that. Uh, no, I, I love doing these things. There's no regrets whatsoever. And so if you're really passionate about it, then no, there is no, dang, I got to go do this now. No, you're That's excited what I about, about old media guy. Yeah, doesn't care about their look for one. Right, right. It's like right. Oh, I got a Colts game on Sunday. Uh, that's a great thing. Like that's a great. Yeah. yeah okay. Great. It's, you know, even if the team not, may not be very good, still. But it's still. An, this is what the, we all wanted to do. This is what we all signed up for. And so, if you're passionate about it, then all this stuff, the time commitment's going to come natural. And then you know, do great work. Be a pleasure to work with. And um, uh, I've, I've enjoyed everybody that I've been able to collab with and work with. And um, from the radio show, TV, RTV6, Pacers, um, everybody's been fantastic. And so, um, uh, and, and I hope that they all feel that same way about working, oh, working with me. Um, from a fan standpoint, uh, or from, from a listener standpoint, um, it's the community of Indianapolis. I love everybody. Um, me making this move does not shift my allegiance uh, in any way, shape, or form. I'm still a diehard Pacer fan. I'm going to be rooting for them every single game this upcoming season. I'm going to enjoy talking about them uh, each weekday with Joe Stasniak. Same thing with the Colts. Um, I just want to thank everybody for embracing embracing me. And, um, and uh, uh, it's tough, man. It's... it's um, the fans here are incredible. The city here is incredible. Um, I've watched downtown evolve um, quite a bit over the years, and um, uh, I just I just feel the love, and I want everybody to know that I, I love them as well. And we'll just keep this relationship going as long as we uh, as long as we possibly can. Um, like a like kid in the candy store with this entire thing, and and. Um, I appreciate every. I'm not the one when someone comes up. Hey, I love the show. I'm not. I don't. I never want to. I'm never dismissive in any way, shape, or form. You know, I want everybody to know who, who said that to me or come up to me that I genuinely appreciate it. And I remember everybody that's come up and said that because this is what I always wanted. Um, uh, I always wanted to have that type of relationship um, with the people in the community where we can come together, laugh, joke, mm-hmm. argue, and just have a good time talking about what's going on in the community from a sports standpoint. And so I appreciate that a great deal and I just want to keep that I just want to keep that going. I feel like I'm asking a player here, but yeah. what do you expect opening night back in your hometown to <laughs> yeah. be like the first game? Yeah, well, with a new uh, PA voice, not right, your voice. Right, right. That will be um that will be odd. Right. It was odd going into a fever game in the um the uh, and hearing a different PA person, you know, after doing the fever for a long time too. Um, I haven't talked a lot about the fever, but um, I do need to say that um, 
that's really how I got my start in trying to cover a team. Um, David Benner, who is a great friend of mine, who is the uh, head PR person for the Indiana Pacers, I reached out to him when I was working for Indiana Sports Talk, and I said, hey, can I get a, you know, a credential? Would like to come and cover a game, that kind of thing. And David said, no. <laughs> we will not recognize Indiana nah. Sports Talk. Um, I sent the same note to uh, Kevin Messenger like the next, next summer. said, hey, we'd love to cover the fever. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Come on over. And so um, interviewing the coach, Lynn Dunn, um, interviewing to make a catchings and starting that relationship, um, it, got, it prepared me for when I actually was able to go into the Pacers locker room. I know there's, folks may look at there's a difference between interviewing a fever player versus interviewing an NBA player. Um, but the mindset is still the same. You want to make sure you're asking the right questions. You don't want to be intimidated by the moment. And, um, and so I started uh, – so that gave me my start as far as learning how to interview athletes, then being able to do PA for the Fever before I took over the PA job for the Pacers. Um, the Fever had been, you know, uh, Fever had been great. And calling that championship series uh, a handful of years ago was an absolute dream. So um, – that was awkward going into the field house during a fever game and hearing a different PA person. It will definitely be weird yeah. during player introductions and all that for this Pacers game. And, again, the relationship that I have with the listeners and our culture on the show of clowning, making mm-hmm. fun, that poking fun, that kind of thing. Um, hell, I was over at the field house for media day for the Pacers, and there were <laughs> folks on the staff there calling me a spy. And, hey, I don't, that was think, great. I don't think you Pr- should be here. You were yeah. right there talking with Kevin Pritchard. <laughs> right. and maybe it was Ben or Jumps. And, yeah. hey, don't answer his questions. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> so there, there's going to be a lot of that on opening night. I'm sure there's going to be people who may not be up on what's going on locally who will see me on opening night and go, hey, you ready for another season? <laughs> And not quite knowing that I have oh. um, moved on to the Brooklyn Nets. I'm sure they'll be heckling when I'm on the mic. Uh, and so there'll be a lot of that. But uh, I just embrace it all. And it's all in good fun. And, um, and uh, no, I'll be ready. It'll be awkward. It'll be awkward. But uh, it'll be a fun night. And, and I can't think of a better way to start the season. I'll have a couple of preseason games under my belt before mm-hmm. that one. But that's like a – I get through that opening night game, there's nothing else it's that can be thrown at me. Yeah, nothing that. else can be thrown at me uh, the rest of the um, rest of the way. Well, you so. know Indy's behind you, and it, it'll be a lot of fun still listening to the show and yeah. then seeing what you do with one of the best in the business on the Yes Network. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it, brother. That's Michael Grady, now of the Yes Network, covering Brooklyn Nets games as the courtside reporter. Appreciate Michael sitting down with me here today. And this has been the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.